and welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Um, this is Alex coming to you from St. Louis. It is an absolutely gorgeous day outside. The nicest day of the year so far. I'm in the prime of my life in a beautiful city in a nice neighborhood. Um, but instead, I'm inside on a Discord call uh, with these two gentlemen, um, the first of which is Cody coming to us from Illinois. Cody, how are things with you? Good. Enjoying the uh, weather, as you just said, <laughs> these last couple of days. Uh, I think I mentioned it last high school baseball games so it being tolerable outside is uh much better than what we usually get the first week of that i remember uh the first two games i did last year uh, it was about 50 degrees outside with a good 30 mile an hour gusting wind and uh I, I if i never do that again it'll be too soon so yeah uh trying to take advantage of this uh, as much as i can I'm also joined by Jack John coming to us from Indianapolis. Jack John, how's it going? Uh, I'm I'm doing great. I've got I've got PTO two days this week, so I'm I'm damn near in vacation brain right now. So I'm I'm sailing on the high, knowing that I'm not going to do goddamn a thing uh, tomorrow for work. So I'm feeling great. I'm sure that'll uh, not cause any problems for us at all. I'm sure, you'll give uh, us your you full know, effort. I. I, I haven't been drinking as much um, just because of, you know, um, you know personal reasons. I, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight, and I, I've, I've lost like 25 pounds. Uh, thank you for noticing. But part of that is me drinking less beer. I'm on beer two already. Uh, so we'll see where the night goes. Yeah. Oh, listen to me. I'm Jack John. I just took time <laughs> off because I had a baby, and now I get PTO. Do you know how you sound? You're such a fucking millennial. <laughs> this is a problem with you millennials is that you hate working. You know? If you you if just you, like... you just took off work, you know, that's what you're supposed to do during the week. Yeah. So I mean, I I usually do the American where I don't take PTO, clock in, and I do zero work anyway. I'm at least telling my boss I'm not doing work next two days. That's the dream. <laughs> yeah, you're it, not. It, I, I'm a... stealing the company's time and resources now. <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan of American quitting, where it's you don't quit, you just wait till they fire you. Yeah. I'm yeah. Quitting. We just have a name for it now, but it's been a long, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's you, been a thing for a long time. Every year you do like 5% less work and you see if your supervisor notices. It's amazing. Uh, so we had Easter over the weekend. Uh, did everybody have a nice Easter? Did we do good? Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. Um, as you well know, Alex, our family tried to feed us to death once again, which uh, we always greatly appreciate. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, our our spread was pretty insane. Like we had ham, mac and cheese, and country ribs, and Ooh. rolls, and all kinds of desserts, and uh, you know some delicious salad. And uh, yeah, I mean it was it was a pretty ridiculous spread, all things considered. But I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah, I, the, I the ribs a... were actually kind of a whim. Like it was just yeah. a last minute thing. Somebody suggested ribs, so we had ribs. I, I had a similar but not as bountiful feast. Uh, the, as Alex alluded to, the Midwest weather has been beautiful, so I got to grill out for the first time. Mm. Uh, so I had, I had some uh, some cheeseburgers, some uh, some beer brats, and a little bit of uh, grilled veggies. Beautiful, beautiful day. I'm trying to remember what our dad's comment was. It was something along the lines of like, uh, ah, no better way to celebrate the Judeo-Christian religions than by eating a bunch of pork. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Especially with the mac and cheese right next to it, just <laughs> just throw just throw it right in their faces. <laughs> that has meant that I've been able to um, um, 
do my absolute favorite because like everybody loves the the post Thanksgiving leftover sandwich, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that the far simpler and much better leftover holiday sandwich is the post Easter sandwich, where it's it the sandwich is ham and mac and cheese. Well- the, oh, still the, good. The beauty in that is that ham makes for a cleaner sandwich than turkey. Turkey, you gotta like you gotta yeah. finagle it in a certain way. Ham is just so much easier. But I will say, the lack of stuffing takes it down a notch. But I'll sure. still allow it. Um, yeah, I had a good Easter weekend as well. Uh, uh, Sarah came up with me to visit our family. Um, you know, she claimed to have had a nice weekend despite <laughs> uh, a couple things. One, we went out looking for mushrooms. Um, she brought her vintage camera that belonged to her late father. Um, only found four mushrooms, and she lost the uh, lens cap of the camera. <laughs> so, oh, shit. <laughs> um, and then we get back to the house, and we go to... Uh, we put out the, the bed swing, the you know lovely romantic bed swing in the orchard. Um, the branch holding it up snaps, misses <laughs> me entirely, lands straight on her head. So she is at home nursing a mild concussion. So shout out, thoughts out to Sarah, yeah. <laughs> who is you- at home resting from... Just a, a very unfortunate holiday incident. Usually when you meet Cody, your head hurts, but for a different reason. So yeah, thoughts after her. <laughs> I'm sure that happened the first time she met me as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, weather was beautiful. Weather's beautiful today. I got the, I at least can have the windows open, which always makes me a little self-conscious because like children walk by every now and then and shit. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, Enjoying it, got shorts on, got my headband on. I'm only realizing just now that I, I look just like the amazing Jonathan with this look. But very, I'll, I'll, very, very much so, yeah. I can accept that. Yeah. Um, apparently, also enjoying the nice weather. Um, I stepped outside. I, I was feeling a little groggy, so I made myself some tea when I get home. And I was going to go out and um, you know, sit out on my, my porch and drink it. And I look over and um, trying in vain to hide under the. the Cushions of my uh, wicker love seat out front, but with his little head poking out one side of it, uh, is none other than a possum. And um, looks like, let me just check here. Let's get our live possum up. Pretty sure yeah, he's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Distinctive lump under the cushion. So he just lives yeah, there now, possum. I guess. There's a possum just like right here. Um, I think I'm just going to keep an eye on him and make sure he's not sick, but he seemed fine. Like, Weirdly, there aren't a ton of great spots in this immediate area for a possum to hide out during the day. If he doesn't take off during the evening um, um, for other to do possum stuff, I might get a little concerned. But what for I now love, he's not he's not doing anything wrong. I was going to get rid of this wicker chair anyway. It's fine. What I love is is there's two opportunities here for this story to continue, and I can see you doing both of those uh, the most out of your neighbors. Is one you befriend this possum and he takes refuge on your porch consistently and while you don't necessarily feed him you don't necessarily um try to not keep him alive so you you throw him some table scraps and i can see you you being a good step possum father uh the second (laughs) option which i'd see also equally true is the possum dies sadly and while you notice that there's no immediate like signs that this is you know anything nefarious, you still cook the possum and eat it um, with a great family recipe. Listen, a few things to say to that. First of all, like, like, okay, I, I assume you say that because we, you know, we grew up 
out in the fucking woods, and I don't blame you for saying that. I feel I like you've told think... a story where your family has cooked possum before. I don't think I'm not possum. Going too you're, far you're out in the left squirrels, field. yes. Um, possum what is, is a like... possum but a fat squirrel? Dude, I know what possums eat. There's no way they taste good. Possums <laughs> are like, even even by the standards of where we grew up, possum is like desperation food. You know, mm-hmm. you don't eat a possum if you have anything else to eat. We've ha- we've tried raccoon, and that was also not very good. But um, yeah, even at the like wild game feeds we'd go to, which is to be clear, what a wild game feed is is everybody gets together in a truck shed in town, and all the local rednecks bring in whatever fucking meat they can they can get a hold of. And they cook it all up, and everybody just just samples, and we and people hang around and drink beer. <laughs> uh, you know, we went to some of those as kids and tried just just the craziest. This is where I tried raccoon. That's where I tried beaver. That's where I tried Rocky Mountain oysters. Nobody ever brought mm-hmm. possum. Yeah, <laughs> they probably brought possum, but they told you it was raccoon, so they didn't get shunned out from the next one. <laughs> um, but the thing is, so last week <gasps> I saw a possum travel through my backyard and i thought that was kind of like oh i you know growing up out in the country we had possums around all the time but i weirdly don't see them much in my neighborhood so that was kind of nice little bit of humanity and then they when i left for work not a super I, I, urban animal i don't think yeah you no, there, i mean near... there's plenty of them i just don't see i just don't see them around because i mean they yeah. can survive in urban areas well there's a pretty active major road if i remember correctly not like too far from where you live so it would it would stand a reason that they try not to go near that well that's where i was going with this because when i left for work the next day there was a very similar looking possum just completely dead out in the road I'm like, <laughs> god damn but I think now the possum I saw might be this possum. Or because where he's hanging out now, there's an easy path to the part of the backyard he crossed, and there's a dumpster back in that alley, so he's probably living large. Hear me out. Hear me out. I'm just spitballing here. You saw a dead possum a couple days ago. Easter has passed. There is a, a live possum on your porch. Could this not be the fabled Jesus possum? You know what? It just could be finally a fucking religion that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would I, I would put out the like, Church of the Latter Day Shemp. <laughs> I would put out one of those like like Mother Mary and Joseph like very tall candles out on your porch, and if the candle remains lit overnight, it is the Jesus King possum. It's going to be my new art display, Possum Christ. <laughs> I've already gotten fifty death threats. <laughs> Look, the city petitioned me to take it down, but I think it's anti-religion for me to not keep it up. I mean, yeah, most of my, you know, I have bird feeders out back and I don't want them to go eat all the bird seed that drops to the ground. But like, if he does, I'm not going to bitch. You know, it's it's fair game. If the birds want it, they'll get there first. Um, So, you know, I mean, if the possum can carve out a nice little niche for himself here, then then so be it. I mean, it's a possum. They don't hurt anything. Um, And, you know, I actually do think they're cute. They're also mm-hmm. ugly. I'm not going to deny that, but they are cute. That's Just why they're cute. Both. Is because they are they are ugly in such a comical way. So, uh, yeah, shout out to the possum that's currently sitting on my porch, about ten feet away from me right now. Um, you know, uh, uh, best wishes. Hopefully, you're not dying, and I don't have to <laughs> fucking deal with a possum corpse on my porch tomorrow morning. I guess we'll find out soon. Um, so before we get to our guys, uh, we did have a listener email this week. Um, 
And, uh, you know, if, if any of you have a listener email, um, we'll go ahead and plug this. We have a mailbox. It's here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Um, last week, um, at the end of Cody's segment, um, where Cody talked about Virginia Dare and the Roanoke calling, we asked um, if any of you out there um, had answers to his big question for us, which was what was something you uh, learned in school growing up that you now know is incorrect? So we heard from our good friend, John Fleming, who you may remember, uh, has guested a couple times on the show a few weeks ago he was on. Um, and John, let's just say he cooked with this email. Because <laughs> he writes, um, my first instinct for a thing I was taught in school that turned out to be completely false is a topic which has been covered multiple times on the show, including most recently earlier in the episode on which this topic was discussed. That Adolf Hitler, while evil, was a brilliant military tactician and not a syphilis brain moron who rose to power largely through dumb luck and whose idiocy expedited the downfall of the Nazis, who are deeply and consistently stupid. That's just the first <laughs> paragraph of this email. Yeah. Which I read this email and it feels like there should be an organ and a gospel choir behind it. <laughs> John is at like the front of a Baptist church and he's like pounding on like the lectern in front of him and he's sweating and the people are nodding like, fuck yeah, you go off King. Like he's, he's on his fucking top game for this one. He goes on to say, well, I don't support lying to students. I at least understand though, that turning the third Reich into Lex Luthor type supervillains makes history seem more interesting. Even if it makes the rise of bumbling idiots whose entire thing is convincing poor members of the racial majority that the enemy are other races and not the ruling class to which he himself belongs. Ahem, ahem. <laughs> Perhaps more egregious was what I was taught about George Washington and slavery. Our teachers did not lie that Washington owned slaves, but they celebrated how ethically he treated his slaves and how he freed his slaves after his death, when in truth, Washington freed one of his 124 total slaves while bestowing the other 123 to his wife. This is part of a more broad project of treating founding fathers and to a lesser extent, every president prior to the, ma to the mass media age, as at worst, a complicated figure. Hell, growing up in Missouri, I was taught to take pride in being from the home state of Harry S. Truman, and that his dropping of atomic bombs on civilians in Hiroshima and Nagasaki was a necessary evil and not a vulgar war crime. Of course, aside from a brief unit about the JFK assassination in high school from a teacher who had some, and this is in all caps, theories about it, <laughs> I never learned <laughs> about any post-Truman presidency at all. The atrocities of Nixon and Reagan were completely foreign to me until I learned about it on my own, even as their legacies informed the politics in which I would soon be voting. I say this with the utmost sincerity. I think your podcast is a much better source of historical information than my Missouri public high school curriculum, which surely is getting worse now that the Republican supermajority is obsessed with it being too woke or whatever. Though, yes, the world would be better if young people dug into the writings of Howard Zinn than a whitewashed version of American history built around making Americans feel their country is, at worst, an anti-hero, when it is often an outright villain, and thus making people feel that there is no need to seek improvement going forward. Death to propaganda and death to Jack John. Thank you very much, John. What if, a terrific email. If there was ever an email that deserved its own mic drop, it's that fucking email. Yeah, this is a, so, a this is a, a type of rant becoming of like the guy who frequently writes in to the opinions. <laughs> like, do new, local newspapers still have this where like yeah. people can just write in their own opinion sections? This is like the at least once or twice a month guy <laughs> writing this. Yeah. So, first of all, I just want to throw this out there. If the state of Missouri uh, 
if you want the state of Missouri to adopt Here's a Guy as its uh, history curriculum for its public schools, um, change.org.com. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously that's not a real website, but I had to say it that way so we didn't get sued. <laughs> um, but we, we would be amenable to that. Uh, if you can convince the local legislature that uh, this podcast is really a better source of historical information, then yeah. we'd be more than we'd be more than happy to uh, make our our entire library available to them for a small consideration. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll 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 be America's teachers. We will lead the youth of the nation. We can do that. While I'm not as bold to say we should be curriculum, I will accept uh, like extracurricular. Like we're an elective. I think we're a good elective. <laughs> like, like take us your senior year when you don't want to take a math class time. Take us then, absolutely. I think. Yeah, Cody's learn about Bob is... Potter. <laughs> I think it's feasible because, like, all you have to do is go in with the right pitch about how we're like countering critical race theory or whatever. The episodes are two <laughs> hours long. They're not going to listen to all of them. Um, <laughs> so we might, depending on which ones they choose, we might be able to pull this off. Yeah. Well, as, we'll, for, as, as for the Missouri government itself, I mean, yeah, you know, arch conservative getting worse and worse, terribly regressive. On the other hand, the governor did just, you know, give all his state workers a raise. So who's to say, yeah. um, really who's evil here? I also, as, as John kind of alluded to, um, we've also talked about how the founding fathers also dipshits. Don't forget governor Morris, who just shoved a whalebone up his cock. Yeah. One of the um, most... Yep intelligent respected founding fathers behind the scenes died from shoving a whalebone up his own cock that is correct god i love our oh, history that it's reminds so me i nearly i nearly forgot we have a pretty big announcement march hagness um has finally come to a close and we must uh um to borrow parlance from um from here's an adventure we must acknowledge our champion ah. in a an incredible race between two one seeds giuseppe zangara and Ian Brackenberry Chanel, a.k.a. the Wizard of New Zealand. So the unofficial mascot of the show versus a guy who, during the topic, was dubbed the guy. Um, an incredibly close race. Um, this morning, I put out the call, we need more votes. And I did that because um, we were actually tied at the time. And in the last 10 minutes of this poll, I got to watch um, the progress. As soon as I put out the call... Um, Wizard of New Zealand gets another vote. Then with, with mere minutes left to go, Giuseppe gets one more vote, and we're tied. And I'm watching, and it goes to poll ending. Literally, as the poll is ending, with seconds left to go and it's processing, the Wizard of New Zealand gets one final vote to give him the victory. So congratulations to Mr. Chanel, the Wizard of New Zealand. He is the winner of our first ever March Hagness tournament. After taking out Giuseppe Zangara in what you you may think on the surface is a massive upset, but like as like you know like the account like our account said, um, you know the Wizard of New Zealand succeeding in spite of himself and uh, Giuseppe getting close to doing something important and then fucking it up in the end. And neither of those <laughs> things are really that surprising, but no, um, quite the tremendous victory anyway. Really, the way he way in which he won this reminds me a little more of uh, Lord Timothy Dexter. <laughs> oh yeah, just sneaking in barely. Yeah. At the, I, I was thinking like, how the fuck are we there break the anyway? Time? Yeah, uh, and and shame on me to point this out, but it is classic Giuseppe to to just come up short. 
Now that, <laughs> that's good stuff. Giuseppe, we will never stop having fun at your expense, even if you lose. In fact, especially if you lose. <laughs> so next week, um, we will be doing as promised. We will be writing and sharing our tribute poems to the Wizard of New Zealand as the rightful winner of the March Hagness Tournament. I should also add some justice for Corporal Wojtek, who can now say that even though his loss was tragic, he was taken out by the ultimate champion, and there's yeah. quite some pride in that. And mm-hmm. and as we're coming up on, as Twitter informed me, uh, Corporal Wojtek's like, honorary Twitter day happened like three days ago. So the, the stars were not quite aligned as I would have liked, but shout out to him. There's always all next right. year. Well, with all that out of the way, um, that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about some guys, some new guys. Old guys, too, but new guys as well. So let's get to it. Jack John, could you help me out, please? Uh, yeah, I think I remember it. It's uh, the guys. Uh, a very, you know, soft, gentle, pleasant introduction um, that is going to juxtapose quite hard with what we're about to hear, because Cody's up first this week, <laughs> um, and he is bringing us some some true good old-fashioned mayhem. Cody, who's your guy this week? Oh my god, if if the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was made featuring real people, this guy's part <laughs> of the family, if nothing oh. else. We've got a guy that checks several boxes for us. We've got the Old West, uh, a propensity for being a drunken buffoon, and tastes that were, shall we say, unusual. Yeah. Uh, we, will, we will get into that as we go along. Uh, we're talking about Boone Helm tonight. And if you thought that was the coolest name we're going to have in this segment, god damn, you were wrong. Ooh. Uh, we got a couple awesome names to come up with later on in this segment as well. The thing is, between Boone Helm and some things we've discussed already and like some other possible future topics on the show, like you probably could have guessed that, you know, Pioneer Times, the Old West, was like scary, but like it's more like viscerally terrifying. There's like a lot of like true horror shows that were going on <laughs> out there at all times. Boone Helm, perhaps chief among them. Yeah, because yeah. the hard part about it is like you could do atrocities, and as long as you weren't actively there when people showed up, you just got away with it. Yeah. So Boone Helm was born in Kentucky in 1828, but his family actually moved to Monroe County, Missouri when he was very young. Um, his family, not wealthy or powerful, but they were well-respected as honest and hardworking people, the kind of people you could depend on. Stand up, folks. That uh, reputation lasted until uh, their son Boone was born. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Helms had a bunch. Of, I think they had like 13 kids, and Boone Ugh. was one of the younger ones. But all the rest of them were normal. Uh, Boone Helm was a complete monster from, like, the moment he was born. Uh, His favorite activity was causing trouble. And to his credit, he was very good at it. Um, He was... In addition to just being a mean little bastard, he was known for feats of skill and daring. Uh, One of his favorite tricks was he would pull out his knife, throw it into the ground, and then mount his horse, and at full gallop, pull the knife out of the ground as he was riding past. Good grief. That is not an easy thing to do. That is, in no, fact, a not. very difficult thing to do. 
We, we, but we here, here's okay. So this is why I don't believe in intelligent design. All right, I don't think that any intelligent uh, creator type being would put this skill set in this person. <laughs> yeah, this is just a bad idea. What? Either that, what or a... in t- or intelligent design is real, but it's Satan doing it. <laughs> That's the other <laughs> yeah. possibility. So, yes. What if that he was a psychopath? What if he was a psychopath, but also really good at? It? <laughs> We mentioned this like when we discussed our our great great uncle Dick Orville Kennedy back in the Thanksgiving episode. Like, I don't believe that people are born with like evil hearts necessarily, but there are there are some people every now and then who are just born with a fucking screw loose. It's like <laughs> yeah. we're gonna be we're gonna be a a a a shit one way or another. It's just a matter of how bad of a shit Orville is a pretty bad shit. Boone is a bit worse of a shit. If I <laughs> if I I know a little bit about the story, so. Um, no, Boone yeah. is a 4 a.m. after burritos and gin shit. Oh, he is... wow, that's a bad one. Yeah. Mm. So, at one point, the local sheriff tries to bring him in, to which Boone responded by just riding his horse into the courthouse, up the stairs, and into the courtroom, where he proceeded to, like, browbeat the judge until he just let him go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've not tried that one before. <laughs> Save that one for a rainy day. The shit you could get away with back then. It, it's just, it's really incredible. Um, in 1851, Boone married a 17-year-old Lucinda Browning, and they had a daughter named Lucy. Um, this marriage was not a happy one. Did you need that information? Um, I could have guessed. Yeah. It would, reflect pretty, was... on, it would perfect, <laughs> reflect pretty poorly on Ms. Browning if this was a happy marriage, frankly. Like, like, like Boone's just like, they're like having like a marital like spat in the kitchen. He just like rides his horse in and like stands on the table like, the fuck you gonna do, Lucinda? Huh? Huh? I got my horse here. And she's like, ah, shit. He's got his horse in here. I, I can't do so, anything. If I was a defense attorney back in the Old West, I think my defense every single time would be like, do you know where we are? It's Old West. Like, there's no laws. <laughs> like, just, Throw two pistols on the table. The fuck are you gonna do about these, huh? Like, there's no laws. There's no justice. I could shoot the judge. I'm not going to, but I could <laughs> yeah. if I wanted to, if, if and I could sh- get away with it because that's if, that's just what this time is, you know. By old Western law, if you shoot the judge, you are now the judge. So checkmate. <laughs> yeah, it was king of the hill, really. <laughs> So, Jack John, I'm very glad you made that joke, because he also had a habit of riding his horse into the house. God okay. damn it. <laughs> That's going to be one spoiled horse. It, it, it's the scene in Family Guy where Peter rides the horse into the bed. He's, like, talking. With, he's like, oh, also, the po- horse may have pooped in the bed. Mm-hmm. That seems to have been one of his favorite hobbies, was just riding <laughs> his horse into places that you shouldn't have a horse in. It's like the Sundance Kid, but a complete shitbag. I love it. So that far, is, I love it. And that is a bit whimsical. I, mean, I, I think I think we go downhill after this, but it is pretty whimsical. Yeah, the riding the horse into the house, that wasn't the big problem in their marriage. <laughs> uh, if it weren't for the fact that he was constantly drunk and beat the shit out of her all the time, uh, oh, that might that have is, been well, a hurdle no they could fun. overcome. Well, now it's not fun. I wonder if, like, her final straw, the message was he woke up to that horse's head in the bed. <laughs> We really was, like. Uh, sorry for this to be fun. Like we really should have ended it after the horse thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the uh, the beer that broke the horse's back. Yeah. So eventually, Lucinda just couldn't. 
take anymore and filed for divorce. Do you know how bad you had to be beating your wife for her to file for divorce in the 1850s? You know what? Honestly, very progressive that she was even allowed to do that. So shout out to her. Girl boss move. Yeah, like men could get away with that very easily, like in front of a police officer for another hundred years or so. And in some places you still can. So yeah, that's that that is an impressive amount of spousal abuse. Um Boone's family actually paid for the divorce. Uh apparently they liked Lucinda more than they did Boone, which can't blame them there. Um yeah, good on them. I mean, there's like forty. Unfortunately, of them. this would Yeah. Unfortunately, this would drive the Helm family to bankruptcy. Ah. So Boone had just ruined his family's uh, finances and reputation, uh, decided to head west to join the gold rush. That's not a bad place for an insane person to go in the 1850s. I mean, that you're kind of among kindred spirits out there. Well, sure. Yeah. All right, so uh, here's our first... Uh, ridiculous name. Boone invited along his cousin, Littleberry Shoot. <laughs> how is that How is that spelled? Shoot. L, uh, shoot. It's spelled exactly like it sounds. S-H-O-O-T. Shoot. That's like, um, there's a weird tradition around here called meat shoots. Have you ever heard of that? We're like, I it's have for charity. Not. And it's it's what it sounds like. People will just shoot meat. So this is like the vegan version of that is where I'm going with this. You, you gotta so, have some background to understand that rib. But. So little berry shoot already sounded like a weird penis euphemism. Meat shoot has to be like somebody's name for their <laughs> penis. I uh, I mean probably a better name for a vagina, right? Meat uh, shoot you know. depends on well depends on like how you look out. depends on how you look yeah. at it. I suppose it does. You're right. <laughs> there's yeah. There's a lot of existential questions that we could ask about this, but then this segment's yeah. gonna take like two hours. We're back to the, the, and we, we have now a late start. We're now reenacting the the uh, the podcast artwork where it's the philosophers. Thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, Blueberry uh, tried to back out because who the fuck would want to go to California with this psychopath? Um. To which Boone responded by stabbing him to death. Jesus okay. Christ. Well, look. Oh, if you got a problem with that, you're going to want to leave the room for the rest of this story. Because just killing people for almost no reason, spoiler alert, big, big hobby for Boone Helm. So I mean... Boone was eventually captured by a posse of Littleberry Shoot's friends and family. Uh, and was turned over to authorities, his behavior in captivity uh, led them to almost immediately throw him in a mental institution. Good. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> a, a correct move. Yeah. One of few. Um, while he was there, speaking of incorrect moves, he was well-behaved enough to convince the guards to take him on walks through the woods. Um... <sighs> This was him, as criminals would later call it, casing the joint. He was learning the terrain so he could eventually, of course, escape on one of those walks, which he well, did. Yeah. Hey, guards, um, 
Which way is west? Cool. I'm I'm I've been pretty good like the last four minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, could we could we go on a walk in that general direction? I'd, I'd really love to you know just to see how far we can go on this walk. Um, and we should go one at a time at night and uh, ignore the shiv I have. I, I promise I won't murder you and then leave. I, I have a joke. Uh, I love it. The sun, the trees, <laughs> the dead guard stab. <laughs> the I, I have the a way that a scream just bounces off the trees and just <laughs> dies. doesn't go further than the tree line. I have a joke. So uh, uh, Boone Helm and one of the mental institution, one of the mental ward guards, um, they go outside and Boone says, you know, I'd really love to take a walk into the woods. Uh, I, I'm really feeling the need to get some exercise today. And they walk into the woods and they just keep walking and walking. Um, and the guard finally says to Boone, like, you know, it's starting to get get dark. I'm getting a little scared being out here. And Boone's like, you think you're scared? I got to walk back out of here alone. <laughs> uh, Another classic. That's an old joke. Love that. Yeah, it's a very old joke. (laughs) So after uh, he had made this escape, he heads west again to California. Um, In California, while uh, during his time as a prospector and miner, Helm killed. It it doesn't even give a number. Just says numerous men in various disputes and altercations. (laughs) Like, yeah, when they Dude. don't even bother giving a round figure, that's, that's really too much. He, he's just, like, walking knife first into a town, going, hey, uh, what's your favorite place to get a drink around here? Well, I, I like, uh, you know, the uh, second suds over here. Stab. No, I like this place better, actually. I'm going to go over here. Just, like, he's just, like, <laughs> stabbing his way through the fucking West. So, while this sort of thing was not terribly uncommon during the gold rush, between the drinking and lawlessness and also the fact that greed is a very big part of the community, you're now... I mean, people were killing each other all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, however, eventually the other miners and townspeople had had quite enough of Boonhelm, and he was uh, forced to flee the town to escape vigilante justice. You've got to be a huge piece of shit where gold miners are tired of yeah, like these guys think that you're a bad guy and you need to be dealt like, with. The, the kind of people where when two people find gold, congratulations, one person found gold and a dead uh-huh. body. Yeah. So while on the run, uh, Boone actually picked up some traveling companions, uh, six men who would uh, run with him to Fort Hall in what is now Idaho. So on the way there, Boone confided in these men that Not only had he killed multiple men back in California, but after killing them, he'd been compelled to, um, well, eat them. Uh, So Boone is also a cannibal. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah, that's not even the most objectionable part of Boone's personality, I think. And that's a testament to what this story really is. So... a sane person, after hearing that, would have bailed the fuck out of there as soon as they heard that sentence. I, I mean, look, if you're, if you're friends with the cannibal and they're happy, you're not the first person they're going to eat. I, I get it. I get it. Like, if, if you piss them off, congratulations, you're dead and eaten. So what's to lose by kissing some well, ass, I guess? And... and- Pissing Boone Helm off was one of the easiest things in the world to do. 
exactly. uh, right up there next to breathing and taking a piss. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they all stuck around uh, because a sane person wouldn't be hanging out with Boonhelm to begin with. Well, sure. So the party was uh, attacked by Native Americans midway through and was forced into the wilderness. Uh, where they ran low on food and supplies and everything, which caused them to slaughter their horses, eat them, and uh, make snowshoes from the hides. Well, that's sad. I know how much you love that horse. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same horse. <laughs> um, eventually, the party dwindled down to just Boone and a man named Burton. Um, Burton decided he couldn't go any further and took his own life with a pistol. Boone, of course, is not one to waste delicious, delicious human meat. So he ate Burton's leg and then brought the other one with him for later. He made him a human picnic. <laughs> like, he just that's wrapped great. his other leg up in a shirt and carried it around like, oh, that's a big leg of mutton you got there. <laughs> yeah, mutton. I you put human I, flesh in a bindle? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to side with, with him here for, for a lot of reasons. But one of my favorite moments as like an adult was walking through downtown Memphis with uh, a Jack and Coke and a, and a and a big big turkey leg, and and I get it, I get it. They're, they're, you're never happier than a drink in one hand and a, and a giant hunk of meat in the other, walking downtown <laughs> drinking and eating. I get it, I get it. My takeaway is that you really should have eaten something before we started this. If it's oh, the I never... delicious, delicious human flesh where it's reminding you of a good turkey leg you had. We we record this at a time where like sometimes I don't eat dinner. It's me and I'm like, fuck man, I, I side with the cannibals and shit, I should have eaten. <laughs> you know, I'm just surprised he waited for him to, to die independently. Because yeah. like <laughs> everything I know about Boone, I'm surprised when he they were the last two. He didn't just beat him to death with a rock instantly. That that was kind of my takeaway too. It's like, yeah, like the story says that he committed suicide, but you know, like you know, the people who live longer tell history a different way. But also, I believe he would have just been like, yeah, no, I ate. Like, so I I'm genuinely well, yeah. Surprised. He volunteered that he he ate people. Yeah. So, so like, I mean, this is not a man who was embarrassed by much. Right. So um, he said the dude killed himself. I believe it for some reason. So, Boonhelm was eventually found at a native camp by a man named John Powell and rescued. And Powell, uh, you know, agreed to let him come along and share in their supplies on the, all the way to uh, Salt Lake City. It is noted that Boone, although he had a bunch of money off on him, both from his prospecting, also he probably stole some, um, he never paid this guy anything or even so much as said thank you for any of this. I mean, just, just a real, just a complete piece of shit in every possible way. Um, so Boone makes his way to San Francisco where he's taken in by uh, a local rancher. This arrangement would end when Boone, of course, uh, killed him. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't even know if there was a why. I couldn't find that out. He just, at some point, Boone killed this guy. Because if you hang around Boonhelm long enough, he's gonna kill you eventually. <laughs> Boone Boone left the toilet seat up, and and the nice rancher was like, "Hey, like by the way, here, you know, I've got some kids. I 
we'd really appreciate it if you know kind of put the toilet seat down you know clean up after yourselves and he just shot him in the fucking face <laughs> yeah that's probably way deeper into that sentence than boone would have really <laughs> let him get um, uh, hey boone shot in the face <laughs> he then moved on to oregon um where he just i mean he really i guess he didn't he gave up on having any kind of honest source of income because he just started robbing people for a living <laughs> okay and of course over the course of this killed multiple other people uh whether he ate these people, we can't say for sure, but based on his past history, I think we can assume that there was a little bit of bit of munching on some extremities after the, the murders. He's living his life like I play Red Dead Redemption. Walking down, shooting ten people, robbing them, and going, okay, cool, let's see where the next town is. <laughs> so, uh, he had to skip one town, though. Uh, he was. This is one of the other times that the townspeople nearly just said, "All right, we're gonna fucking take care of this guy." Um, he killed a local, uh, a man known as Dutch Fred. Okay. <laughs> I could not find what uh, Dutch Fred's real name was. I'm guessing it was Van something. Just, uh, I just like that. The environment of the Wild West is that you're surrounded by like complete lunatics and psychos and dangerous criminals. And everyone's like, huh, this guy's Dutch. Take a look at this guy. What a fucking freak. <laughs> so Dutch Fred was, uh, he had a reputation as a local gunfighter. Uh, although he was relatively well liked, he was just, he was one of those guys that people like him, like him, but also it's, it's known. Don't fuck with that guy. Uh, just don't start trouble with Dutch Fred. Cause he'll kill you. Um, and apparently one of Fred's enemies told Boone, hey, this guy's pretty tough. You might want to take care of him before he takes care of you. Some little Randall piece of shit. There's even speculation that this guy might have paid uh, Boone Helm to do what he was about to do. He he pulled out a boombox and it went, Stelio, Stelio, <laughs> Stelio. So he found Dutch Fred in a saloon and killed the totally unarmed local hero in cold blood just walked in got him and i tell you there are not many times in history where i wish someone had had a gun <laughs> but this is one of those moments because apparently dutch fred was pretty handy with a pistol and might have just saved a lot of other people a lot of aggravation right then and there look if there was just a good guy with a gun there this whole thing could have been ended easily so well, I guess that's the problem. It's the Wild West. There are <laughs> there are no good guys with guns. Every there are guy no is good bad. guys. Period. Yeah, I was <laughs> saying like everybody does have a gun, but the problem is none of them are good. Um. So after he killed Dutch Fred, he then wisely got the fuck out of there uh, before they could get a posse together, uh, and hit the road uh, once again, accompanied by another fugitive. It didn't say who. I like to think it's the, the guy that told him to kill Dutch Fred in the first place. <laughs> um, oh, fuck, man. But I can't crazy. say I that for sure. Do it. <laughs> um, this arrangement, again, would not last long because Boone would soon get tired of his companion and kill and eat him. Again, it, it, everyone thinks they're going to dodge it. Everyone thinks I'm the guy that Boone, uh, Boone Helm is not going to eventually kill and eat. 
And they're it, all wrong. It says a lot about this story where the fact of murder and cannibalism is just like a period onto the next sentence at this point. Like, it's not even like, and then he did this. Like, it's like, yeah, and then he fucking did it. Of course he did. Yeah, because of course he did. So Boone was captured, uh, but evaded justice once again after he implored his brother, uh, Big Tex, <laughs> to pay off witnesses. Apparently Big Tex had money. Uh, so after being released, he went to Texas with his brother, but that didn't last long. He kind of resumed his nomadic lifestyle again and made his way to Montana, which is still a pretty good haven for psychos. I just love that in the uh, middle it, of the story, Doug Dimodome bails him out and he's like, all right, cool. Fuck this. <laughs> I'm leaving again. <laughs> so... Boone would join up with uh, notorious outlaw Henry Plummer and his gang in Montana. This was something of an odd couple. Um, Plummer was a former lawman who also had a habit of killing people in gunfights, although in his case it was usually in self-defense. Like, he was just a magnet for crazy people trying to kill him, and he wound up having to kill, like, a bunch of people. And it, it almost always, even like through legal due process, a bunch of the times they were like, no, yeah, the, that was self-defense. Um, Plummer was also well-liked pretty much everywhere he went. And while he was definitely tough, he was also a pretty reasonable guy. Uh, whereas Boonhelm was a total psycho who would eat you if you looked at him wrong. Yeah. So this association would be short-lived as well, because Boone and several other gang members were captured and put on trial. Uh, at Boonhelm's trial, the court actually made him swear in, like, swear his oath multiple times throughout the course of his testimony, going so far as to have him kiss the Bible at one point, which he did. The reason for this was that Boone tried to blame all of the crimes he was accused of at this trial on his friend and colleague in crime, uh, Three Finger Jack Gallagher. And okay. the court knew he was lying. Like, it, it was painfully obvious this guy's lying. So they just kept doing this just to see how far he was willing to go. Like, how many times and ways he would... Like, basically, their entire question was... Is there anything that's sacred to this guy? Or, or is he going to just just keep doing this? All right. All right, Boone. Dick on the Bible. Tell me you're that's, that's the truth. Dick on the Bible. <laughs> Boone, we're going to need to see you fuck this Bible. <laughs> that's the only way we'll ever believe you. So, uh, Boone never confessed, of course. Uh, not, not that it mattered at all. Uh, he was sentenced to be hanged along with the other captured gang members. And so, in Virginia City, Montana, in 1864, Boonhelm, Three Finger Jack Gallagher, and the rest were brought to the gallows. Jack was hanged before Boone, and Boone repeatedly exclaimed, Kick away, old fellow. My turn next. I'll be in hell with you in a minute. Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah. At least he knows. And when, when Boone's turn came, he shouted, uh, Every man for his principles. Hooray for Jeff Davis. Let her rip. And then jumped off the hangman's box before the executioner could kick it away. Just, just a complete fucking lunatic, this guy. 
See, just going out like only Boone Helm can, yeah. <laughs> Boone was very surprised after uh, after he died and he found himself in heaven. It's like, wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, what it his, his real His real hell is actually just like a bunch of angels around him doing too many good deeds. And he's like, God damn it, why aren't you just stabbing and eating people? What the fuck? He's like grabbing a I fork mean, to like it... poke at him. They're holographic, like fucking Plankton's <laughs> there. <laughs> It's like that. Uh, it's like that robot chicken sketch where the guy goes up to heaven. Hey, that's my uncle. He used to touch me when I was little. Oh yeah, I uh, I repented and asked for forgiveness on my deathbed. Oh, that guy's a serial killer. Yeah, I found religion toward the end and asked for forgiveness before I was executed. <laughs> Walks up to Hitler. I'm just as surprised as you are. <laughs> so, thankfully. In what I'm shocked wasn't declared a local holiday, finally Boonhelm was dead. So all that remains uh, is my big question for you guys. Who do you want in your town? Like, who would you rather share a community with? Boonhelm, or going all the way back to episode one, Ken McElroy? <clears throat> so, who, by the way, if you haven't heard that episode, spoiler alert, was a guy who was such a bullying piece of shit that eventually the entire town ganged up on him and murdered him in 1981. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they did an Old West posse for this guy in, in the 80s. Right. So, obviously, no, no good choice here. Um, but I think I'm going to go with Ken, just because, and, and this is so grim to say, Ken... He seems, I, I don't think I'm in one of the demographics that Ken is going to go after first. It seemed like, <laughs> if I remember, like, what women, old people, and livestock were really more his, his forte. And two dogs. <laughs> and two dogs, um, of which I'm none of those things. And, like, yeah, it's still going to be miserable. I mean, he's a terrible, terrible guy who, you know, both of them are going to get theirs eventually, thankfully. But, I mean, Boone... I mean, he could just just eat me anytime he wants. That's the problem, <laughs> and like you'll never see it coming. So, or may, or you will, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, as much <laughs> as I hate to say it, I'm gonna go with with Ken. I think that'll buy me a little bit more time. I might be able to make it until he gets his just desserts. I I have to agree. The only benefit to Boone is either he dies or he just gets bored and how. Like that's really the only like kind of like counterpoint is that yeah Ken McElroy pretty much was in one town the entire time. So it do you put up with like almost like a lifetime worth of shit, but you know, all of your neighbors are still mostly living. Or do you like live with like absolute hell for like two months? I'm I think I'm still gonna go with Ken. Um just for the fact that like most people aren't gonna die because of it. Well, yeah, see, that's a point I was going to make, because I'm also going to go with Ken McElroy. He shot people pretty frequently, but he never killed anybody, so he yeah, wasn't he all was that bad good. at it. He had a shotgun also, and continually didn't murder people somehow. Also, the fact that he constantly carried around a shotgun in the 1980s tells me that he maybe wasn't quite as tough as he wanted you to think he was. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can handle Ken McElroy without the gun. If he doesn't have that shotgun, I think my odds are fine. Uh, as far as Boone Helm goes, Boone Helm apparently would kill you with whatever was handy, and then he'd eat you. Um, 
So, yeah, it really is a catch-22, but I'm going to say Ken McElroy. Also, like, there's a chance that at the end of the story, you're going to get to be one of the people who gets to kill Ken McElroy. So, True. <laughs> yeah. That's a you bonus. Know, you get to be a big part of that that town posse. So if that's your idea of fun, then uh, you got that going for you. Yeah. You and all your friends and family get to for the watch Ken McElroy. So you know, there's, <laughs> there's a win there. Good answers. Good. Answers. I, I like the thought exercise. Thank you for that, Cody. Good opening topic. Uh, before we go any further, I wanted to give a uh, possum update. Went out on the porch and checked because I thought it was a little unusual that this possum was still clearly under the cushion. I was worried maybe he was sick or it had died. Well, the good news, it's not sick, it's not dead, but it is nursing about six babies. So there's <laughs> no, there is now a, a small family of possums living under the couch cushion, or under the cushion <laughs> of my, my wicker love seat. So that's my life right now. So shout out to the that's possum family. Great. I guess I'm just gonna let them be there because I can't. I can't <laughs> yeah. think of a good reason not to. So at, yeah, at this point, it's a dick move if you move them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to our second topic of the episode, uh, Jack John, you're up next. Um, who's your guy this week? Uh, I'm in good spirits this week. Uh, we're recording this a day early because I'm going to be traveling mm-hmm. on our usual recording day. I'm going out of uh, town for a wedding uh, for friends of the show, Joe and Alex. So that's got me in a good mood, and I want to tell a wedding story uh, because of that. So follow me on this brief tale of twists and turns as I tell the story of the missing wedding dress. I, I don't know that I want to hear a wedding story that winds up on this show somehow. It, it, I, I really like this story. I really like this story. I'll say that. Our story begins in a small, well-run wedding dress boutique. We're nestled deep in Chicago, although I'm sure five different listeners of this channel will tell me that this isn't real Chicago. But I digress. Uh, We're just (laughs) west of Irving Park uh, at Cage's Bridal. This quaint and well-loved bridal shop has been a staple in the area for over 20 years, owned by the store's namesake, Cage Brega. Cage has seen it all as a boutique owner. Uh, She details as much in her very popular TikTok channel, Bridal Influencer Keisha, which I will admit uh, is where this story uh, first caught wind and uh, how I found it. So, uh, so I will take your shame now for this being a TikTok story that uh, influenced this Here's a Guy topic. Yeah, first of all, what are you, nine? Uh, second of all, uh, Bridal Influencer just gives me really bad vibes from the jump. That that sounds like a very pernicious uh, profession. Yeah. Uh, but what do I know? So, so the the story originally uh, caught on in uh, 2021, and at that point it was just the like Instagram handle was Cage's Bridal. Uh, it's since been changed, but basically it's a TikTok channel dedicated to the bridal shop. Um, and I go on a uh, it's on this page that Cage usually tells the tale of bridal do's and don'ts, showcasing many of the original dresses her shop offers, and the occasional story time where she details her interactions with brides and their family. Uh, uh, in comes our guide to the story uh, in one of her story times. An unnamed man uh, for the duration of the story, but for uh, clarity's sake, we'll call him Dave. Dave calls Cage's Sorry, story. friend of the show, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very, very unfortunate coincidence. But yeah, no. Um, the story has zero names, uh, just for like anonymity's sake. But because we're going to be using a lot of names, I've named 
and picked very generic names for everyone. Okay, so we got Dave. Yeah. So Dave first calls Cage's store in May of 2021. Dave is set to be married Thanksgiving weekend that same year, but he's come to a slight problem. Uh, number one, he got married on Thanksgiving weekend, and that seems like a dick move. Yeah, that's that. That's not great for yeah. consideration to your friends and family, seeing as pretty much everybody has plans that, that weekend. Yeah. Uh, but Dave calls the bridal boutique in a frantic mess. Keisha is used to these kind of things in her store and tried to see how she could help the man. He first starts off by saying that he knows his wife bought her wedding dress there and that she'd already picked it up from the store, but he needs to order a new one. Okay. Keisha is a little confused by the request at first, and for good reason. Uh, Number one, grooms aren't usually the ones handling this shit. (laughs) Yeah, normally they prefer to keep as far away from this kind of stuff as possible. And and I think the brides tend to like it that way, too, because most of the time the groom has no fucking clue what he's doing in a situation like this. So, Very true. Uh, Dave assured Keja that he wasn't trying to do some weird roundabout way of finding out what the dress was beforehand. Uh, and he actually saw it uh, once by accident already, and he just needed to get a new one. And he's insistent that a new one needs to be ordered. Keja follows up by asking if he's sure that you know a new dress needs to be ordered, because the bride can just easily make adjustments to the existing dress. And besides, the wedding's in five months. Like that turnaround's not going to happen anyway. <laughs> uh, besides, you also need to get alterations and everything. You you can't order a new one at this point, but. Uh, being um, nice, at least to the guy, Keja looks in uh, to see what a new dress uh, order would be and looks into the account, but she finds an issue. Uh, the dress was custom ordered. Um, the bride, and at this point, we're st- we'll start calling her Jennifer, had customized her dress to have custom sleeves added onto the dress and an additional two-foot train added onto the end as well. All things told, this was a $2,300 custom dress. Christ, on a bike. Yeah. That's I'm sorry, but there is no article of clothing that is worth $2,300. I think uh, the jacket that Franz wore when we saw Attila was $2,300. The, the red well, I think jacket. he took that off Michael Jackson's corpse. So, <laughs> uh, but Yeah, so there's, there's no way that Dave's going to get... Uh, and she lets Dave know uh, that she can maybe try to call the... Um, and she'll try to get back to him. So Keisha calls back and informs Dave after talking to the manufacturer uh, that, again, it's impossible to do this. She, though, again, like kind of presses Dave and asks why he needs an entirely new dress. It's at this point that Dave breaks down and starts to cry. Uh, he tells Keisha that there may have been a slight mix-up a couple weeks ago. As the story goes, Jennifer had taken the dress to her grandmother's house for safekeeping. Her grandmother was a trustworthy person. She would keep Jennifer's dress in one of her closets in nice condition uh, until the wedding day. One that only the grandmother would be using. And for this point, we'll call the grandmother Gertrude because I just want somebody to be named Gertrude in this story. That's a great grandmother name. I thought Sorry, so. not a great grandmother name, but a, <laughs> a great name for a grandmother. 
Gertrude was keeping the dress safe and even was a planned part of the wedding ceremony coming up. She was set to be the flower girl, which I think is just fucking adorable, having your grandmother yeah, that's the flower awesome. girl. That is adorable. Well, nature had other plans, and very oh. unfortunately, Gertrude passed away. That's what I was afraid of. Oh, boy. Sad, but this doesn't necessarily ruin the dress, so why the fuck am I bringing it up? Well, Gertrude had a dying wish written in her will. You see, Gertrude's old husband had passed away on before. He was buried in his wedding suit, a nice tuxedo. So naturally, no. (laughs) So naturally, Gertrude wanted to be buried in her own wedding to match her late husband. So when Gertrude's house was being cleaned out, Dave and his soon-to-be brother-in-law were sent to the house to grab, and I quote, the wedding dress in the closet. Oh, this is way too sitcom-y for me. I hate where this is (laughs) going. (laughs) And to take it to the funeral home. Please. Please, God, no. (laughs) They didn't realize that Gertrude's closet now contained two different wedding dresses, her own and Jennifer's. Oh, Jesus. So, don't Gertrude do isn't. <laughs> you can't do so, this. So, I'm guessing Ross and Chandler screwed up then. <laughs> yeah, it, it has it has a late '90s, early 2000s, like oh boy, kind of feel to it, which <laughs> I, it has its own. <laughs> Larry David is just sitting there confused and sad and like (laughs) contemplating everything happening to this point. (laughs) But it it has its own charm, which is what I love. But let's continue on. So Gertrude is now in her coffin wearing Jennifer's dress. Surely this is the point where someone sees and quickly makes a swap and saves the day. Well, already been on a corpse. Like, (laughs) I mean, there's dry cleaning. Um, well, that could have happened. Not for that shit, not, though, right? Had it not been for Gertrude's condition. It's unsure exactly what Gertrude had, uh, but whatever it was resulted in the whole affair being a closed casting funeral. Making sure that Jennifer would never see her grandmother wearing what was her dress. The funeral goes on as planned, and Gertrude is buried six feet deep. And two entire weeks pass before anyone realizes what's happened. So now the $2,300 custom-ordered wedding dress is being worn by what can best be described as, at this point, the old lady at the end of Psycho. Yeah. Yeah, you can't... There's no no water (laughs) hot enough. (laughs) No. I don't think you can really no. like wash a wedding dress too much anyway, but even if you could. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is now aware of this, except for Jennifer, the bride. Oh, so she doesn't even know? She has no idea. Oh, God. But luck would turn around in a weird way. Two days after all of this has come to light for the family, Jennifer ends up calling Keisha's bridal shop, asking her about the dress. See, Keisha begins to panic as she's not sure how to tell the bride that 
with five months to go, she'll have to find a completely new dress for her big day. The bride is singing the same thing, but for a different reason. See, Jennifer doesn't know about the Gertrude situation, but she knows she'll need a new dress. In a bit of a coincidence, five months before her wedding, Jennifer finds out that she's pregnant and would need to acquire a new dress to accommodate the change in her life. So she got really fucking lucky. <laughs> Uh, the story is a lot lighter uh, and more carefree compared to a lot of the stories I tell. Uh, but I love it for a specific reason. It shows that we're all just one moment away from being a guy in the story. Dave was just a regular guy from the Chicago area who made one small mistake, and that mistake almost upended, upended his entire wedding day. It's almost uh, not even really a mistake if all he was told was to grab the wedding dress in the yeah. closet and he opened the closet and grabbed the wedding dress he saw. Yeah. I don't really even consider that a mistake. <laughs> I consider that an accident of nature that yeah. uh, is almost yeah. too coincidental to be believed, but it's one of those things that just happens. Right. And and this was a, a, a shorter story for me, so I did have a, a second additional bonus story. Um, while researching, I, I knew I wanted to do like a wedding story, uh, and I was looking up a couple of different ones, and I found one that was it was too short to make it into its own, but I'll add it as a fun little uh, uh, add-on. Uh, there was a wedding uh, in in um, Kuwait, and it happened in a courthouse. And the the bride and the groom get there, and they're in a loving relationship. They've been together for for a couple of years now, and they and they walk in and they get married in. And as they're leaving, the bride trips and, and falls down the stairs. And, and she's okay, if not for a couple nicks and bruises on her body and, and a little bit of a bruised ego. And the, the new couple, um, fresh in love, look at each other. And instead of holding out a hand, the husband instead calls the bride an idiot for tripping and falling <laughs> on her wedding day. The bride then immediately walks back into the courthouse uh, and files uh, for the uh, marriage to be thrown out, resulting in what was described as the three-minute marriage. I'd heard that <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to do more on that one, but there just simply just wasn't enough meat for me to even yeah, drag it out. That's an old, like, Ripley's Believe It or Not anecdote. Yeah. Interesting, but yeah. you can't stretch that one too far. Right, yeah. I, I did want to make a note of at least that one as well in, in some of the research I found. But it's strange that the last straw came on the wedding day because surely <laughs> something like that would have happened prior. But with all that, uh, I've told you guys essentially uh, a story of, of a wedding, and kind of an almost wedding. And for that, I would like each of you to make a toast uh, to Dave and Jennifer on their wedding. <clears throat> to Dave and Jennifer. May your marriage last long like Grandma Gertrude, <laughs> but may it not end quite the same way. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not too good at uh, public speaking. Uh, I'm Dave's roommate from college, um, and uh, just wanted to say, uh, you know, to a loving and happy marriage. And uh, hey, I knew, I knew there was going to be a. a um, I knew one of you was going to have a stiffy, um, <laughs> but I, I never would have expected this. 
I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> this is why we usually don't uh, open, open the bar, dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's just—he's like not even part of the wedding party. He's just a guy who feels compelled to say something. Uh, good, like good. Really, toast. is nobody is nobody gonna acknowledge this? Yeah, yeah. He he like he grabs the mic and he just kind of like stands there for like ten seconds and he goes, "Really, no one's gonna stop me from doing this." At this point, it's your <laughs> fault for me saying the next thing. <laughs> uh, uh, good, good answers to both of you. I I really appreciate. Um, that at some point you have to acknowledge that Gertrude's dead. And I, I didn't have quite the, the toast in my mind, but I feel like I would get up there with a, with a drink and just say something like, uh, Dave and Jennifer, I'm happy that you're both here. Um, and, and Jennifer, your dress looks great. Uh, I thought it looked better on Gertrude. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> So there, there's an extra layer layer of scuzzy to that because that was a closed <laughs> casket funeral. Like, how the hell did he know what it looked like on Gertrude? <laughs> Look, man, this this wedding's wild, all right? <laughs> we have interesting customs in my family. <laughs> Look, Chicago's all right, time, uh, the, the father-daughter dance is over. Time for the uh, groom and dead grandma dance. <laughs> Well, thank you for that, Jack, John. Um, so we got two topics down. And for the last topic of the week, uh, we turn to me. And uh, this week, I'm continuing what is uh, fast becoming a recurring series on this show. Ill-advised amateur aircraft stunts. <laughs> Much We've fodder discussed... for guys here. We've discussed Mad Mike Hughes. We've discussed the fan man, James Miller. Uh, Franz Reichelt, if that counts. <laughs> um, I would say that counts. <laughs> yeah. This week, I'm discussing another titan of this world, Lawn Chair Larry Walters. Um, and I want to go ahead and acknowledge my source. Um, an article entitled The Strange Sad Odyssey of Lawn Chair Larry uh, from Medium.com by Dale M. Brumfield. A really tremendous article, probably one of my favorites that I've read prepping for a topic. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to head this off by saying, Larry Walters is far more likable than any of the previous amateur pilots that we've had. Yeah. Um, he's, not, uh, he's not a dick like Franz Reichelt. He's not a <laughs> raving lunatic like Mad Mike Hughes, and he doesn't have the unbelievably poor sense of timing of the fan man James Miller. Mm -hmm. Larry Walters is a real-life story of an everyman with a dream that he went for, whether he really should have or not. For a very long time, um, humans have been fascinated by the idea of using lifting gases to take flight. Perhaps the oldest example is hot air balloons, which have been in, in some form in use dating back to the 18th century. Airships, most notably Zeppelins, were in vogue in the late 19th century, then, in 1937, looming global unrest, along with one particular incident, uh, kind of put the kibosh on that. <laughs> yeah. But that same year also saw Al Mingalone, a photographer for Paramount News, use a cluster of 32 weather balloons to take flight into the air for the purpose of landscape photography over Maine. This adventure nearly also went horribly awry when Al's mooring rope broke and he shot up 700 feet into the air. 
Fuck. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully for Al, he was spotted by a priest named James Mullen, who was apparently a, just a fucking eagle-eye shot, and he shot out two of the balloons with a goddamn twenty-two, allowing Al to peacefully descend to the ground. <laughs> what? Yeah, Al Mengelon thought he was fucked. Little did he know, uh, this was a situation for gun priest. <laughs> yeah, I want to know that guy's backstory. Yeah. Like, what What did he do that both gave him that kind of skill and also made him think that maybe I should devote my life to God? <laughs> like, like, even if you're so 100% certain that you're a marksman, like, do you trust your own shot at that point? Because, like, there's a good chance you're just going to fucking wing and shoot that dude in the air. Yeah, this in the movie, he this guy is played by Gregory Peck. Um, 100%. <laughs> in 1949, in 1949, Larry Walters was born in Southern California. Uh, from a young age, Larry was fascinated with the skies. His dream was to be an Air Force pilot. In 1967, Larry joined the Air Force with the intention to be a pilot in the Vietnam War. Um, that dream would never be realized, however, because he was ex examined by military doctors who ascertained that his eyesight was too poor to ever be a pilot. Of course, knowing what we know now about the Vietnam War, I mean, probably chalk that one up as a win in yeah. the long term. Yeah, I mean, he, he could have ate more carrots. I hear that's great for pilots. Aha, that's a, <laughs> that's a callback. Listen to episode whatever the fuck last week was for more <laughs> on that. Um, yeah, what's great is shaking the surly bonds of Earth. Much worse, crashing a plane into a jungle full of people trying to kill you. Yeah, uh, I've always thought that, you know, to really appreciate the skies, you need to drop nape. Oh. I hear it smells nice in the morning. <laughs> So that was one dream dashed, um, and Larry would instead begin a career as a truck driver. With his eyesight, I guess they needed a much more tethered to the ground than... <laughs> a reasonable jump. But secretly, Larry actually had a second aeronautic dream. A dream much more adventurous and fanciful, but a dream that he nevertheless now turned to. Because, as he put it, so many people have dreams and they never follow through on them. Yeah, and yeah, I know. So far, this sounds very much like the plot of the uh, the I think 1989 um, uh, animated holiday special, A Wish for Wings That Work. I was but, just thinking that. Yeah. So far, it sounds a lot like it. But I'll Larry Walters is not a cartoon penguin. He is a truck driver in his mid 30s with a great mustache. That's who Larry Walters is. Larry said that since the age of 13. He dreamed of taking a joyride through the skies using a balloon. He was apparently struck by the whimsy of Al Mingalone's story while learning nothing about how it nearly ended in catastrophe. Yeah, see, here's the thing. Most, like, balloon contraptions, uh, they don't have great steering mechanisms, and also it is very difficult to get them to descend at the rate that you want. So, like, once you're up there, you're just up there. Like, until the balloons decide that you're not anymore. And, you know, you probably, you can probably tell what I'm about to say with this, but mm -hmm. everyone just go ahead and mark that bingo card. You know what I'm about to say. Yeah. Uh, hold that thought. <laughs> In the early 80s, the consummate everyman dreamer, Larry Walters, revisits his childhood dream 
and begins making preparations to actually attempt this. But, as in every man who drove truck for a living, there was a pretty obvious question facing him. By what means would he actually be able to try this? Well, while trying to solve this quandary, Larry looks over at what he says what his, was his favorite possession. A super comfy lawn chair that he bought from Sears Roebuck. <laughs> and this guy course. seems like a big lawn chair guy. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I'm picturing this like... um. The SpongeBob BC episode where like he discovers fire and like the dramatic music's playing panning <laughs> in on him. He knows what he must do. His idea would be to attach a cluster of helium balloons to his trusty chair and float lazily about thirty feet above the houses and trees of San Pedro, California. It's cheaper to just fucking rent a hot air balloon. What are you doing? But there's, there's so much less glory in that, Jack John. That's the way you're not understanding. <laughs> Larry and his girlfriend, Carol, spend the next few weeks gathering supplies and preparing the chair for flight. Carol is a very interesting character in this story because I am amazed that she never uh, put a stop to this. <laughs> like, like, was she signed off on like his insurance? Was she set to like benefit from this? <laughs> Like, part of the magic of girlfriends is that they stop you from doing shit like this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah, they're the it, smart ones and tell you not to fucking do this. D does his life insurance policy have one of those weird addendums where, like, it triples if he dies in a balloon-related accident? <laughs> the Carol policy, yes. Um, Larry takes meticulous notes during all this, so it's not as though no thought goes into it. But keep in mind, Larry and Carol are still amateurs with no background in aeroscience. So as far as how the chair would functionally take flight, the idea was that they would affix, oh, about 42 helium balloons to the chair. The chair would be staked down uh, when the balloons were inflated. They'd unstake the chair, and he would have liftoff. As for the plan for coming down, borrowing a bit from the Al Mingalone story, the idea was that Larry would bring a pellet gun with him and simply shoot out enough of the balloons to slowly descend. <clears throat> God damn it. You two look flummoxed. That is a hell of a brake system. <laughs> <sighs> so Larry and Carol, right. they hit up a store called California Toy Time Balloons, and they asked to buy 42 large balloons and a bunch of helium tanks. To which the shop owner said no, and they had to find a store. Well, Jack John, you see, they were prepared for that possibility. Because that is an absurd enough purchase that they, they were worried the store might like just say no, or at worst, find it suspicious. But fear not. See, as I mentioned, Larry drove truck for a living. But more specifically, he drove truck hauling supplies for a children's TV production company called Filmfare Studios. Larry and Carol took some paperwork and forged a requisition from Filmfare stating they needed all these balloons and helium to shoot a commercial. Oh, okay, the store smart enough to put all this forethought into getting them to sell you the balloons, you should be too smart to do this anyway. That's what I can't figure out. That was brilliant. That was a yeah. brilliant move on their part. Turn that intelligence towards something that is is a little more important, I would think. Yeah, when you get a smart idiot like that, you don't get good things. You get stuff like this show. Like it, it doesn't pan out well. 
No. Uh, the store sold them the supplies without question, of course. God damn it. Larry and Carol assembled a makeshift aircraft and scheduled a launch for July 1st. I will say, probably good to get it out of the way before the 4th of July. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they, they foresaw that possible issue, at least. <sighs> to borrow a line directly from Dale Brumfield's article, quote, as E.T. warmed our hearts in the theaters that summer, Lawn Chair Larry was about to stimulate our imaginations the way Spielberg and his syrupy puppet could never do. Just a wonderful uh, little bit of prose uh, that I wanted to share with you both. Uh-huh. I love it. Syrupy Puppet is a really good... It's <laughs> um, the name of my new indie band. <laughs> um, the Chair, which uh, Larry had renamed Inspiration One, uh, um, had been affixed. <laughs> Did yeah, he know there was going to be a two? <laughs> what I love. Did he anticipate he... more of these? I'll I'll give him credit. A lot of people that we talk about on this show, they just fucking do a thing without any thought. Larry's put so much fucking thought into this. It's kind of scary. He really has, and yet none of those thoughts were ever. I shouldn't do this. <laughs> That's the amazing thing about Larry. Well, that would be silly. Inspiration One had been affixed with 42 weather balloons. And by the way, I should probably mention, these are not ordinary party balloons. They're weather balloons, each about 8 feet in diameter, filled with 33 cubic feet of helium. Wow. Goddamn. That, that is a lot of helium. They were arranged in six tiers, uh, with the highest tier being almost 180 feet above the chair itself. So this is like a massive contraption when it was put together. The fuck are the neighbors thinking? I who knows. He'd also affix thirty water jugs to act basically as ballast counterweights. Okay, um, again, okay. way too much thought. Way too much yeah. thought. Um, in addition to his pellet gun, he also brought along with him a CB radio, an altimeter, a camera, a sandwich, and a beverage. There are conflicting reports. Some say beer. Some say a two liter of Coca Cola. You you gotta go beer in that situation, don't you? <laughs> Larry ropes his friends, also not professionals, into assisting with the launch. He straps himself into Inspiration One. His friends go to untie the cables. There are two problems. One, Larry, again, not a professional, has overestimated how many large helium balloons he needs for a low-altitude joyride. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back to your previous point, Cody. Uh, Two, to make matters worse, the final cord snaps before his friends can untie it, which causes a slingshot-like effect. Oh, <laughs> God. So, the result is that Larry just gets fucking launched straight up into the sky. <laughs> now, the good news is that other than that, Inspiration One is functioning correctly, like perfectly. And he has CB radio contact with Carol at ground level. But the, bi the big picture issue is that instead of just several hundred feet in the air like he intended, Larry is coasting over the suburbs of Los Angeles at about 16,000 feet. God damn. Carol is freaking out, begging him over the radio to abort the mission and return to Earth right now. And Larry would ideally have liked to do this. But since he's now facing the reality that his own calculations have betrayed him, 
He's unsure what will happen if he starts shooting out the balloons. <laughs> He's specifically worried that if he does it wrong, it'll throw off the balance and tip the whole thing over, sending him plummeting to Earth. Okay. So, so, a lot of well, thought. I mean, is that really any worse than what's going to happen if you just don't shoot out the balloons? Because, <laughs> like, there's not really a way out there. Well, right. But for now, he may as well take his time and enjoy the ride while he figures out how he's going to do this. He's going to take some time to think about it. Um, some real and, sobering thoughts up there. And take his time he did. Larry floated over the greater Los Angeles area for about an hour. He never panicked, but after all this time passed, he faces two new pretty big problems. One, the thing about being that high up is that it's extremely cold. So yeah. cold, in fact, that Larry's hands and feet are starting to go numb. Oh, no. Two, the intended flight path would have taken Larry east of Los Angeles over the Mojave Desert, where there was tons of open space. He could have landed pretty safely, and people were waiting there to pick him up. Instead, the winds have been carrying Larry west. And I don't know if either of you are geography buffs, but oh, do either no. of you know what is directly west of Los Angeles? Uh, the Pacific Ocean, isn't it? The, the Pacific water. Ocean is what lies directly west of Los Angeles. So that's where Larry is headed towards. I mean, if you're going to drop from 1,600 feet, water is better than no. the ground? Because like, you're going to get maimed when you land. It's lateral. You're going to drown, at least. You might like live if you You'll hit the die ground. die on impact. It's either way. I mean, that it... You know, that's just, that's a foregone conclusion at this point. Yeah. Um, Larry calls on a mayday to react the radio emergency associated communication team. That's a CB radio monitoring organization that exists just for weird situations like this. <laughs> the nature of his call and like just bless poor sweet dumb Larry's heart was to say that like, He's sure that his people have already contacted the proper authorities, so he just wants them to tell his people that he's okay. Oh my god. Whether his people actually had contacted the proper authorities is unclear, but who certainly had were the pilots of two different commercial airplanes <laughs> who had spotted a guy in a lawn chair with a bunch of balloons flying at the same altitude as them, were very disturbed, and had called air traffic control. What do you, what do you think when you're a pilot and you see that outline? You're like... No. Ed, did you dose me with acid again? <laughs> and just look man. out, you get you get closer, it becomes clearer that it is actually a man in a lawn chair with balloons attached. How do you, you know, even react if you're a pilot? I, I've I'd be pilot. speechless. I've been a pilot for 13 years, and before every flight to calm my nerves, I've, I've gone to the, the airport bar, and, I, and I've had two fingers of whiskey. And and today I think I had my last drink because I'm pretty sure I see a goddamn man flying. <laughs> yeah, is it? Is that, is that a space alien? Oh, I wish. <laughs> that would no, be wasted. That is what we call a California moron. Someone it's an endangered just... species for obvious reasons. Someone had watched the uh, the Man on the Wing episode of Twilight Zone before their flight just to be like, look. Flying is scary, but it, you know, if I watch something that's, you know, inherently for entertainment, it'll calm my nerves. And that same man looked out the fucking window and saw a man floating. He said, all right, fuck all of this. 
Oh my god, what if William Shatner was on that flight? <laughs> what if William Shatner had been on that flight and been the guy to spot him? <laughs> would anyone have believed him or would they think he was just doing the thing? People start applauding. <laughs> a man in a chair. In a chair. It reaches the point where Larry is entering truly treacherous territory. Um, coming up first, the airspace over LAX, where there's tons of planes flying around. Second, the Pacific Ocean. So it's put up or shut up time. Larry unholsters his pellet gun and starts shooting out the balloons. He notices after shooting out the first two balloons that he's really not doing much descending. <laughs> He shoots out seven more balloons trying to get this to work, when, much to, his dismay, uh, much to his dismay, his numb hands accidentally drop the pellet gun over the side of the chair. <laughs> yeah. You, you saw it coming a mile away. Thankfully for Larry, apparently nine balloons was the exact right amount to shoot out for him to begin a quick descent. The descent itself was smooth as silk. Of all the fuck-ups he made designing his, this thing, the water jug ballasts were perfect because it was a, a an amazing descent that he makes. They worked like a charm. Word had gotten out about the ridiculous journey taking place, and an enthusiastic crowd of supporters had gathered below. The onlookers applauded and cheered as they watched Larry descend from the heavens and straight into a bunch of power lines. <laughs> Once again, however, Larry had caught a break as the authorities had correctly foreseen that that was a perfectly fitting way for this ridiculous situation to end, they'd contacted the power company and had them temporarily shut off power in the area. So the lines Larry flew straight into were totally dead. Can you imagine living in that neighborhood and being like, I have to be without power for half the day because of this fucking moron? Well, yeah, on that note, Larry gets tangled in lines for a few minutes until one of the lines snapped, which had the effect of gently and safely lowering Larry to the ground. Miraculous for him, less so for the people of this neighborhood who are now without power. <laughs> the crowds, they, they swarm their hero, and they help him out of his chair. He delivers to his audience an amusing message. By the grace of God, I fulfilled my dream, but I wouldn't do it again for anything. <laughs> a, a clever line. Far less amused was the Long Beach Police Department, who swiftly handcuffed Larry and hauled him straight to jail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's... I don't know exactly what laws he's violating, but I know this is illegal somehow. I mean, public <laughs> nuisance, if nothing else. Yeah, Cody, hold, hold that thought for just a second. Um, so on the ride, one of the officers asked Larry why he did it. Larry responded with his now iconic line, a man can't just sit around. Uh, response is like, you actually can. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And also like, there is some middle ground, I think between just sitting around and doing this, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, take up golf or join a gym or get into cross, bird watching, crosswords, you know, or read uh, a book. Maybe Larry's Larry's second, uh, more forgotten line uh, to the police. Uh, Pigs don't fly, but I do. <laughs> and he was quickly beaten to death by the <laughs> LAPD so Cody get, getting back to what you just said 
they hold Larry in jail briefly, like for a couple days, basically just to figure out what exactly to charge him with. Um, to quote Regional Safety Inspector Neil Savoy, we know he broke some part of the Federal Aviation Act, and as soon as we decide which part that is, some type of charge will be filed. If he had a pilot's license, we suspend that, but he doesn't. Well, they're um, okay. Piloting a uh, a lawn chair with hot air balloons without a license. I mean, there's there's that right there. He is released and eventually gets fined four thousand dollars for violations of federal aviation regulations. On appeal, the fines are reduced to fifteen hundred because a judge ascertained that some of the things they charge him with don't actually apply to a guy with a <laughs> fucking lawn chair and balloons. Others did, I guess. Um, ten days after his flight, he appeared on David Letterman. Um, not long after, he appeared in a magazine Timex ad. Uh, his remarks on the flight were that, um, quote, this was something I had to do. I had this dream for 20 years, and if I hadn't done it, I think I would have ended up on the funny farm. Larry said he only had two regrets about the flight. One, he was so overwhelmed that he forgot to take any pictures. <laughs> Yeah. Um, two, rather than, than keeping the chair, he gave it away to some kid named Jerry after he landed. Um, and to be <laughs> clear, he didn't regret that until a few years later when the Smithsonian called and asked if he would donate it to them. And he's just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Jerry has. I don't even know where he is. Yeah, I just sold that thing on eBay way before then. <laughs> Larry, Larry was able to leverage his newfound fame and to work as a motivational speaker meaning he was able to quit his shitty truck driving job. But his fame was fleeting, as it often is, and once the bookings dried up, he was only able to sporadically find work as a security guard. I mean, what have you done for me lately? Like, you know, you can't coast on that one balloon ride for your whole life. Yeah. Sadly, this really sent Larry into a spiral. Um, he and Carol broke up after 15 years together. And finally, on October 6, 1993, Larry Walters, a man who so bravely stared death in the face years earlier, lost his life by way of wandering into the heart of Angeles National Forest and shooting himself. Oh. Like, uh. I almost had an, like an uplifting topic start to finish. <laughs> I swear to God, when I started researching this, I didn't know that that's how that ended. Um, so close and yet so far. But one positive footnote is that after Larry's death, Jerry resurfaces. Um, he still had the Inspiration One stored in his garage with the water jugs still attached and all. He'd heard that Larry, uh, he'd wished that he could have donated it to the Smithsonian. And so Jerry honors this by donating the Inspiration One to their National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., which I should add, my dad and I went to when we visited Washington, D.C. in 2015, I wasn't familiar with, really with the story at the time, but I did see it in person, the Inspiration One. That's amazing. In the years since, there have been a number of imitators. Um, most of them have been successful, with a couple unfortunate exceptions. Um, in 1992, a man named Yoshikazu Suzuki attempted a balloon-powered balloon chair flight over Lake Biwa in Japan. He completely miscalculated everything and flew way off course. The Japanese Coast Guard spotted him 500 miles away over the Pacific Ocean at somewhere between 2,500 and 4,000 feet in the air. That was the last <laughs> anyone ever saw of Mr. Suzuki. 
a slight miscalculation. Yeah. He's in orbit now. <laughs> in 2008, a Brazilian priest and human rights advocate named Adelir Antonio de Carli attempted a chair flight using 600 party balloons and successfully landed in Argentina. He then tried again a few months later using a thousand party balloons. This may have also worked, but he got caught in a storm and blown off course. He wasn't seen again you, until three months. You really got to watch the weather channel when you're planning that, man. <laughs> like that's not a mistake you can afford to make. He wasn't seen again until three months later when the Brazilian Navy found the lower half of his body floating in the Atlantic Ocean. Christ. Um, David Blaine attempted this in 2020, and unfortunately, he did succeed. Um, So putting all that aside, (laughs) my big question to the two of you, I want you to put yourselves in the the shoes of of lawn chair Larry Walters here. If you were to attempt this journey... And I want to preface this by saying your answer can't be that you just wouldn't, because I know you wouldn't, (laughs) but let's just say that you were. You were to attempt this journey. What supplies are you bringing along with you? Um, So first of all, I'm bringing a boom box uh, filled with uh, 80s sports stadium rock uh, classics. Just to, you know, to really, (laughs) yeah, to to really, really, you know, drive home the, the triumphant feel. Um, you know, like if I'm if I'm soaring over Los Angeles with St. Elmo's fire blasting at top volume, like I could live with that. Um, also, I'm bringing uh, I'm gonna bring a six pack of beer. Although that that might be a little too much because eventually I'm gonna have to pee, and whoever lives in the neighborhood down <laughs> below is gonna be very unappreciative. Um, also, I'm bringing. A uh, number of baseballs that I can drop on my enemies from an extreme height, uh, and no one will ever be able to trace it to me. Uh, and see, is there anything else? Oh, a uh, meatball sandwich, just because everything's better with a meatball sandwich. I'm going to go up there with the sole purpose that I'm not bringing myself down. Uh, my plan to get down is I'm going to so obnoxious that other people shoot down my balloons for me. So I'm just going to make this like as pun filled as possible. Like I'm, I'm going to have high times magazine. Uh, I'm going to be just like any like kind of like height joke I can do. I'm going to, I'm going to try to pull that out. I'm going to have some high C to drink. I'm gonna be wearing high <laughs> tops. Just, the amount of like, like I'm going to be, uh, have some airheads, you know, just like any like amount of obnoxiousness that gets people to bring me down is what I'm going to be doing. Just singing Lenny Kravitz's fly away as loud as you can. <laughs> real, real highbrow humor coming out of this one. I knew I one wondered, of you was so, going to have a bit. Let's so just be if, realistic about ourselves. In either yours or my scenario, this could happen. What if the stereo is blasting Steve Miller band's classic jet airliner right before the plane hits you? <laughs> <laughs> like that's got to be the best way best way this ends um it or or i'm, I'm doing rocket man i'm listening to rocket man <laughs> yep the uh, shatner or reaction. uh uh or 99 red blue <laughs> i think um yeah if, if i'm if i'm going on the assumption that that i'm not coming down then i mean there's really a few good bits that's one Another one would be like, I've always said that if I, if I ever decided it was my time to go, like if I, if I found out I had some terminal illness 
and and made that decision, like I'm gonna pick some bit. My thought would always be like, jump off a high building wearing like a penguin costume. <laughs> so you have that possibility, <laughs> or like get like um, what's a bubble gum you can do really like hubba bubba bubble gum, and like blow a huge bubble and just jump. <laughs> um, or like you could do like a Mary Poppins thing. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of yeah, possibilities. Yeah. That's if you're not coming down. Yeah. If you're coming down, then then it's a little uh, trickier. And really, like, neither of you are bringing Playboys up there. I mean, come on, let's <laughs> let's not fool ourselves. Yeah, you, you have a chance Everyone's to make some cell phones now. Yeah, like, uh, fair the, enough. Look, this is the only spot in the world right now where I can read my nudie magazine without fear. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> fifteen hundred feet in the air. Just one last little bit of embarrassment for your wife. Is that a is that a man flying? Is he jacking off? <laughs> that makes it we'll to, so much worse. <laughs> we'll go to answers, everybody, and um, that is the inspirational by our standards, anyway. Story of lawn chair Larry Walters, uh, a a truly tremendous guy, far more likable than most of our characters. Um, mm -hmm. But we should probably say, I, I would hope this goes without saying, please don't do this. <laughs> like, to find fulfillment somewhere else. Go to therapy, maybe. Um, take up hiking or something like that. Just, just don't ever do this, please. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to uh, the close of this episode and what an episode it was. Uh, so to wind things down, let's start by going around the horn and hawking our shit. Cody, where can the people find you? Uh, first and foremost, you can find me right here on Here's a Guy every week on Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Uh, you can find me uh, pretty shortly, we hope, on Twitch on a little channel that myself and these two knuckleheads and our friend Pookie and Kelsey have been working on for a long time called Here's an Adventure. We play D&D. It's a lot of fun. Also, you can find me on Twitter. I am at SonOfGravy42069. Jack Sean, where can the people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Papa underscore Jack John. Uh, you can find me on my personal Twitch channel at Papa Jack John. Going to be making a return to that in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for whatever weird way I'm going to come back into that. And uh, of course, uh, shout out to Here's Adventure and uh, the other podcast I do sometimes. It's called Belchcast, where a friend of the show, Pookie, and I get drunk and we talk about nerd shit. All right. Well, as for me, yeah. you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Turpin, the number four P-R-E-Z. Uh, follow the podcast account as well. It's at Here's a Guy Pod. And, um, well, Cody, just want you all to know, Cody's camera's wigging out, so it's like a, a, <laughs> a, a stop-motion animation thing that we just had there. It was really tripping. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was fucking weird. I wish we were, like, screen recording. That was cool. Yeah, seriously. Um, I am. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pull that back later. Yeah, make a, make a gif of that, Jack John. Um, <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, we have a, a mailbox as well. You heard that up top. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Uh, send us uh, feedback, questions, comments, answers to prompts, suggestions, heckling, whatever you want. If we like it enough, we'll read it on the show. Um, and uh, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, I'll, I'll just echo what everyone else said about here's an adventure. So, all right. Well, that brings us to uh, a close of another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Um, so to put a bow on this thing, Cody, do you have a tagline? I do. All right. Well, uh, with that... Thank you all for being here. I hope to have you here again next week. And Cody, hit us with that tagline, please. Folks, humans in balloon flight go together like a wedding dress and a dead grandma. They just don't mix that well. <laughs> Good night, daddies.
Bye, daddies. <laughs> <laughs>